The title of my message today is uh, different from the one I left in the bulletin there. It is Jesus and Hanukkah, new meaning to an ancient Jewish feast. Jesus and Hanukkah, new meaning to an ancient Jewish feast. On the 25th of this month, we will celebrate Christmas, which along with Easter, stands as one of the most important Christian holidays. But as we celebrate the coming of Jesus, the light of the world, on the 25th of December, another group of people will be lighting candles and celebrating on the 25th as well. But this group of people won't be lighting candles on the 25th of December, but rather the 25th of Kislev. And they won't be celebrating Christmas, not all of them that is, they'll be celebrating Hanukkah. You see, for nearly 2,200 years, beginning on the 25th day of of the Jewish month of Kislev, Jews around the world light candles for eight days in a row. These eight days signify the Festival of Lights, the Feast of Hanukkah. Now, ours is a Gregorian calendar, and so... uh, Not a Jewish calendar. And so that's why the Feast of Hanukkah, from our perspective, lands on a different day each year. Uh, This year, Hanukkah falls on Tuesday, December the 20th at sundown and lasts for eight days. Now, you might be wondering, why have you decided to speak, um, to take a, a message in the Advent season and devote it to Hanukkah rather than Christmas? Shouldn't we focus on Jesus This time of year? And my answer to that is absolutely. We should focus on Jesus at a time like this. And that's precisely why I'm devoting a message to Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. You see, you might be surprised to know that the Bible speaks of Hanukkah. Back then, it was known as the Feast of the Dedication. And what might surprise you greater still is that Jesus Himself, celebrated the Festival of Lights when He lived on this earth. The Gospel of John records Jesus making some fascinating statements in the temple during the time of the Feast of Dedication, the Festival of Lights, Hanukkah. So while Hanukkah is not primarily a holiday about Jesus, today we will learn that it has great significance, not just for the Jew, but also for the Christian. After all, if Jesus honored and gave unique meaning to the Festival of Lights, then we would do well to acknowledge it as well. But before we can truly appreciate what Jesus said during the Feast of of the Dedication, we must first learn a little bit about the origins of Hanukkah. And for those of you who have been with us in our study in Daniel, uh, some of this will be a little bit familiar to you. You see, Hanukkah began amidst circumstances prophesied of in Daniel chapter 8. In the 8th chapter of Daniel, Daniel foresaw a cruel leader. I've got a a bust of him behind me in just a moment. His name, Antiochus Epiphanes. There he is. Antiochus Epiphanes. Who was this man? He was king of the Greek Seleucid Empire from 175 to 164 B.C. Daniel said in chapter 8, he prophesied of this man who was to come, who Daniel called the little horn in Daniel chapter 8. 
And Daniel said of this man that he would exalt himself as high as the prince of the host, as high as God. And sure enough, Antiochus Epiphanes named himself Theos Epiphanes, meaning God manifest. He also murdered the much beloved Jewish high priest Onias in 171 BC. And he, in, in lieu of, uh, instead of uh, Onias, he installed these quasi priests, men who were loyal to Antiochus and who were sympathetic toward Greek religion and culture. Daniel also prophesied in Daniel 8, 11, and 12 that Antiochus would take away sacrifice and would profane holy days. And sure enough, Antiochus abolished Sabbath worship and sacrifice. He was a man who looked at all the Jewish worship and ceremony and said, enough. We're going to do away with this. And then came what was known to the Jew as the Hasychus Messimum, the abomination of desolation. In the year 167, Antiochus walked into the temple and he erected a statue of Zeus, the Greek god. And he took a pig and he put it on the altar in the Jewish temple and he slaughtered the pig, profaning the altar of the temple in 167. That was what caused an uprising in Israel. You see, a family uh, from a man named Matthias and his sons, most notably a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus, he rose up. And this man rose up in defense of the Jewish people, in defense of Jewish worship. And in the year 165 B.C., on the 25th day of Kislev, or prior to the 25th day of Kislev, Judas and his men fought against the Greek armies and defeated Antiochus. It was amazing. These, this small group of Jewish peasants, farmers really, they took up arms and they went to defend their country, their honor and the worship of their God. And they fought against Antiochus Epiphanes and they defeated him in the year 165. And in the, on the 25th day, of the Jewish month of Kislev, Jewish Maccabeus and the victorious Jews re-entered the holy temple in Jerusalem. They removed the statue of Zeus and they began a process of rededicating and cleansing the temple for worship again. In the process of this <coughs> rededication and cleansing, they lit the menorah in the temple. And the menorah had seven candles on it. It was a temple element, and they restored some of the temple elements, and they lit the menorah on the 25th of Kislev. But there was only enough oil for one day of burning the candles. And yet, tradition has it that despite the fact that there was only one day's worth of oil in the menorah, that that menorah in the temple burned for eight consecutive days. A miracle! And it confirmed to Judas Maccabeus and the Jews that God was with them. That He was watching over them. That He had in fact helped them in their conquest over Antiochus Epiphanes. In the eyes of the Jew, what happened in the temple that day, as the menorah was lit, not for, one, not for just one day, but for eight days, it was a miracle. 
confirmation of God's favor. And so it says in the Apocrypha, in some extra-biblical writings from the book of 1 Maccabees, it says this in 459, Then Judas and his brothers and the entire congregation of Israel, they decreed that the days of the dedication of the altar should be observed with joy and gladness on the anniversary every year for eight days from the 25th day of the month of Kislev. So today, so today, in commemoration of the Maccabean revolt and the rededication of the temple, Jews worldwide on the 25th of their month light eight candles, begin to light one candle for each eight days in their home in honor of the miracle of the menorah in the temple. You and I know it as the Feast of Hanukkah from the Hebrew word Hanak, meaning to dedicate. Now, I've given you a brief history, a few summary points, a few summary points of what Hanukkah meant for the Jew. <clears throat> First, the Jews were once again united in mission and purpose. Go ahead and write that down in your outline. At this moment in time, at this moment in history, they were being persecuted and harassed and they rose up and together they fought against the Gentile ruler, the cruel ruler of Antiochus Epiphanes, they defeated him. And as they came together, the Jewish people were once again united in mission and in purpose. Secondly, the Jews honored God for preserving their physical lives. There was a period of, of national uprising of, of, of spirituality. There was a return to worship. There was a revival of sorts among the Jewish people in the worship of God. If you read through uh, the apocryphal book of Maccabees, you will find that there was a great period of time in which the Jews were repenting of sin, confessing their sin, getting right with God. Thirdly, the Jews began rebuilding Jerusalem's walls for security. It says also in the, in the Maccabees that they, that they were motivated to rebuild the walls to protect themselves from this ever happening again. Fourth, the, the lights of the menorah testified of God's saving miracle. And so as they looked at the menorah in the temple, as they would light uh, uh, the menorah in subsequent years, they would look at those lights and it would remind them just of the miracle that God had done for them. And fifth and finally, they tore down that, the profane stones from the altar. They took the altar on which Antiochus had put a pig and they tore it down because that altar had been profaned. And so they took it apart stone by stone by stone and they rebuilt the altar. They cleansed the temple. They removed the profaned stones. Now, fast forward some 200 years to the exact same holiday and we find ourselves in the Gospel of John. And Jesus is walking in the temple area to celebrate, no less, the Feast of Dedication. Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights, just a few months before His death on the cross. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. And this is what John has to say. It says in verse 22 of John chapter 10, Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. And it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And then the Jews surrounded Him 
And they said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Here we have Jesus entering into Jerusalem at the Feast of Dedication. Unequivocally, the festival of Hanukkah. And Jesus walks into the temple area. And he goes, in, uh, he goes into the temple area and He goes off to the east side of the temple in which is a, a place called Solomon's Portico or Solomon's Porch. And it's, uh, it, it's, it has a bunch of Roman uh, columns, uh, Greek columns, up and down. And it's covered. And it's a nice area in which rabbis come to teach or to interact with one another. And He enters the temple area and He goes off to the side to Solomon's Porch. He's there to celebrate and to join in with his fellow countrymen the festival of Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. It was the same place where Jesus went, Solomon's porch. It was the same place where Peter and John would later heal the lame man in Acts chapter 3. It was also the same place where the early Christian church would meet together right after the ascension of Jesus to interact and to teach and to talk with one another before serious persecution rose up against them. And you can see that in Acts 5.12. And the Jews, they intercept Jesus. He walks into the temple, but they intercept Him. And they pull Him aside and they surround Him. And they say to Him, tell us, are You the Christ? Are You the Messiah? Jesus wasn't picking a fight that day. He had come to honor the feast. But instead, he had been confronted by some hostile Jewish leaders. Now, you know what this is like. Um, because the holidays are coming up. Christmas is coming. And you know that crazy uncle in your family who on Christmas dinner, while the whole family is gathered around and having a grand old time, decides to bring up what he doesn't like about the president. Right? You know that crazy uncle? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you are that crazy uncle. Okay, a few of you, right? All right. You know, you got that one person who everybody's gathered around Christmas dinner, they're having a great time, great conversation, and then there's one family member who just goes all negative on us. And he talks about politics and about, oh, the ills of this world and this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden, that wonderful Christmas dinner turns into this dark and dreary conversation about what's wrong with the world. Well, that's what's happening here. Jesus has walked into the temple in honor of the feast. He's celebrating the feast. Just as He celebrated many feasts before it. And the Jews intercept Him. Men who also should be celebrating the feast. They intercept Him. And they pull Him aside and say, tell us, tell us, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. So Jesus obliges. Verse 25, Jesus answered and said to them, I told you, and you do not believe Me, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of Me. But you do not believe, because you are not of My sheep. As I said to you, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of My Father's hand. I and My Father are one. Jesus said, look, I've already made this clear, but you've chosen not to believe. My miracles, Jesus said, they testify of who I am. And you've seen them yourself. And still you don't believe. 
And so it's clear. You're not my sheep. For my sheep, they hear my voice. They watch my miracles. And they follow. Why? Because they know me. And I know them. And because we're in relationship with one another, I give them my life. Eternal life. Life that can never be lost. Never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because my Father who is greater than all will not allow it. And I will not allow it. And I and my Father are one. The Jewish leaders, they didn't know Jesus. Oh sure, they they watched Him. They heard Him. They even saw Him perform miracles. And still they were blinded. In large part because of their own desire for power. And they didn't understand how this peasant carpenter from Nazareth had attracted such a following. They didn't understand it when they were the aristocrats. They were the leaders. They were the ones in power. How could this carpenter amass such a following? But they did understand one thing that Jesus said. They understood Jesus' final words in verse 30 with crystal clarity. When Jesus said that I and my Father are one, the Jewish leaders knew that Jesus was claiming to be divine. And so it isn't surprising what happened next. Look at verse 31. Then the Jews, they took up stones to stone Him. And Jesus answered and said, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone Me? And the Jews answered Him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. They picked up stones. They picked up, they, they, they picked a fight with Jesus during a religious festival, no less. And when they didn't like His answer, they picked up stones to kill Him. Why? Because in their eyes, He had just blasphemed. He had just called Himself God. They couldn't kill Him because of an immoral action. They said, for a good work, we don't stone you. (laughs) We know you've been doing good works all over. In fact, we can't see any action that we can fault. But for blasphemy, we're going to stone you, they said. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, Jesus' answer was a challenging one, especially for us today. But it's a memorable one. Notice what He says in 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If He called them gods, to whom the Word of God came, and the Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of Him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God? Here we find Jesus quoting from Psalm 82. And I want to read it for you. Psalm 82, it reads as follows. Verse 1, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Verse 6, I said, you are gods. And all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Confusing passage, but it's quite clear when you take this bit by bit in context. The word God here in Psalm 82 
is a reference to earthly judges. It says as much in verse 2 of Psalm 82. He says in verse 1, God stands in the congregation of the mighty and He judges among the gods. And this is what He says, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? He's calling earthly judges gods. And God is calling them to account, saying that if they don't reverse course, they will die just like men, just like princes. Now, neither Jesus nor the psalmist was advocating polytheism here. That's not what's happening. Instead, the word God was being used to signify a person who stood as judge, as God's representative on earth. And Jesus' argument is a clear one. He says, look, if God-ordained judges can be called gods, then why can't I? After all, I'm the Messiah, Jesus says. If there ever was a God-ordained person, it's me. If there ever was an anointed one from God, it's me, Jesus says. And so His claim to having oneness with the Father, His claim, Jesus' claim, to being the Son of God, it was a rightful, it was a legitimate claim. If, that, if the, the title God could be applied on occasion to an earthly judge, as it was in Psalm 82, and as it was in parts of Exodus, then how much more so can it be applied to Jesus? Jesus had earned His title as Son of God. He had performed Miracles that no one could deny. And so he says this in response in verse 37. This is what he says. He says, look, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. Therefore, they sought again to seize Him, but He escaped out of their hand. Jesus says, look, if I didn't perform these miracles, then you would have a case against Me. But since I've done them, believe in those works that you may know that the Father is in Me and I in Him. But they wouldn't believe. Instead, they picked up stones to stone Him. They tried to seize Him, but He escaped from their hand. Like a bad experience at a family holiday gathering, Jesus was all too eager to remove Himself from this hostile and dangerous situation. He wasn't welcome there. And so He left. He left the festival of Hanukkah even though the festival was just as much about Him as it was about the Maccabean patriots 200 years before Him. When you think about it, the parallels between Hanukkah and what Jesus did right then and there in the temple are numerous. Let me show you. First, at Hanukkah we learned that the Jews were once again united in mission and in purpose. What did Jesus do when He celebrated the Feast of Hanukkah? When Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, Jesus expressed His unity with the Father. He came in and said, this is a festival about unity, right? 
This is a festival about bringing the Jewish people back together in unity, in worship. And I tell you, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Secondly, at Hanukkah, the Jews honored God for preserving their physical lives. They thanked Him and said, thank you God for preserving us against Antiochus Epiphanes, for protecting us, protecting our people. What did Jesus do? Jesus declared that eternal life was found in Him. He said, not just physical life. Physical life, that's good. I've come to bring you eternal life. Eternal life that can never be lost. Thirdly, at Hanukkah the Jews began, uh, the Jews, should say, began rebuilding the walls for security. What did Jesus do? He talked about eternal security. He wasn't worried about the walls around the temple. He was concerned with the topic of eternal security. And he said over and over and over again, at the Feast of Hanukkah, no one, no one can take my sheep out of my Father's hand. They are eternally secure when they believe in Me. Fourth, at Hanukkah, the lights of the menorah testified of God's saving miracle. The people, they looked at the lights and they, and they realized as they saw the light, they said, God performed a miracle 200 years ago when He saved us from Antiochus Epiphanes. What did Jesus do? Jesus' miracles testified that He was the light of the world. Jesus said, look at My miracles! Look at My miracles! He said it over and over again in John 10 to the religious leaders. Look at My miracles! If you don't believe Me, look at the miracles. Can you not see? I'm the light of the world. Fifth and finally, at Hanukkah, the Jews tore down... <laughs> having trouble spelling today. Torn down. The Jews tore down the profane stones of the altar. What did Jesus do? Well, what did the Jews do to Jesus? The Jews picked up stones to kill the Holy One. At the time of Judas Maccabeus, they were tearing down the stones. Why? Because they were profaned. There was pig's blood on the altar. And they took it apart piece by piece. And when Jesus came and celebrated the feast and said, hey, I and the Father are one, Forget physical life. I'll give you eternal life. Eternal life that can never be lost. Don't worry about the walls around the temple. I can give you eternal security. Why? Because I'm the light of the world. They picked up stones to kill Him. They wanted to kill Jesus. So Jesus left the feast. He left the festival of Hanukkah that day, only to return four months later to another holiday, the Feast of Passover, during which Jesus, the Lamb of God, would be arrested, tried, convicted, and killed on a Roman cross. It seemed that Jesus could not avoid a confrontation with His countrymen when it came to the holidays. And in the time when the Jewish people were to be honoring their God, instead they were, unbeknownst to them, harassing Him, persecuting Him, and ultimately killing Him at Calvary. You see, friends, the, the Jewish feasts, all of them, all of them, the Jewish feasts 
were meant to get Israel's attention. To remind them about what God had done in their midst. And Jesus' presence at these feasts proved that greater miracles were still ahead. But the people weren't listening. They weren't heeding what He had to say. Despite the fact that the parallels were right before their eyes. And the question today is, are we listening? Are you listening? Christmas is about Jesus, no doubt. We all know that. But even Hanukkah, when you consider its history and the miracles surrounding it, all of it points to Jesus. All of it does. When the Maccabees cleansed the temple and restored it, um, the temple element upon which they lit the candles uh, was a temple menorah. Uh, seven, seven candle places in this menorah in the temple. Uh, seven, uh, seven holders for seven candles uh, in the temple. But as we know, the miracle that happened on the 25th of Kislev in 165 B.C. was that the candle stayed lit for eight days. And so what took place in the evolution, if you will, of the Feast of Hanukkah is that they took the, seven, the seven-pronged menorah and they added an eighth prong. The eighth prong was to have an eighth candle celebrate that eight full days of the feast. The eight full days of which the menorah stayed lit. But then, as a point of fact, the new menorah that was ultimately developed was not just a menorah that held eight candles. It was a menorah that held nine candles. This menorah came to be known as the Hanukkah. And what is uh, most noteworthy about this menorah, and I have an example of it down here. I'm going to lift it up. What is most notable uh, about this uh, Hanukkah, it's called, is you, see, you have the eight placeholders uh, here in the front. Four, five, six, seven, eight. And then a ninth holder was placed on this, on the, on this Hanukkah at the very top uh, where the candle at the top would be used uh, to light all the other candles. This candle at the top was known, is known as the Shamash. In Hebrew, it means servant. And it is the only candle that can be used to light the other candles of the Hanukkah for the Feast of Hanukkah. What's fascinating to me and to all Messianic Jews and to those who know who the Messiah is, is that this center candle, the Shamash, It reflects Jesus. There's no reason for its existence other than the fact that Jesus is pictured here in the center. He is the one who is the light of the world. He is the one who gives light to every man, woman, and child. He is the suffering servant, as Isaiah says. He is the servant of the Most High God the one in whom eternal life is found. And all that we have, all that we are, 
All that we could ever hope for is found right in the center of the Hanukkah. It is that Jesus is the light of the world. The One who gives light in the midst of the darkness. Amen? This temple element in, 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 in its evolution, it speaks of Jesus. Now, there are many Jews who, uh, who don't choose to interpret it that way. But for those that know Jesus as Savior, when you look upon an element like this, and you wonder why there's that ninth candle sitting in the middle, we who know Jesus in faith realize that it's, it is there to symbolize the shamash of God, the servant of God, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this Christmas season, we recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He is the shamash of God, the suffering servant, the one who gives light to all the world. And Lord, we know that the light has gone out into the world. It's penetrated the darkness. But so many have not received the light of Jesus. I pray, Lord, this Christmas, as we celebrate the coming of Jesus, that we would also look to the festival of Hanukkah and to the parallels that we see in that feast with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who stood in the middle of the temple, in the middle of the feast, and said, you want unity? I and the Father are one. You want life? I can give it to you eternally. You want security? I can provide that forever. You want to know who is the light of the world? Who is the miracle worker? It is I, Jesus says. And though, though Lord, we're often, uh, though Lord, we're often in a position where we're having a moment of revival and tearing down altars profaned by swine's blood, we also know, Lord, there are moments where we're picking up those same stones in our pride and in our arrogance. God, I pray this Christmas and this Hanukkah season that we would recognize who You are who Jesus is. He is at the center of our life. He is the light of the world, the Shamash of God. We honor Him this season. And we pray, Lord, that You would be at the center of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.